Welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity, live and direct yet again, and in the flesh. You can find the podcast version of this program on all popular media platforms. Please go to michaeldeacon.com for further assistance. Tonight, with a bit of luck here, my first guest is Max Egan. He is a researcher, radio host, and filmmaker. His website is crowhouse.com. And of course, on the second half of the program, we will be joined by Crystal Rapolo. Hello to you out there yet again. And those listening on YouTube, and hello to those great folks. We'll catch the replay Sunday night. Do not forget that this is a call-in show. Please feel free to call in whenever your heart desires at 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Don't be shy. Now let's bring in Max. Gotta give him a little call here. Let's see if he is around this time. Hopefully the sound is working on his end. I believe it will this time. Hang tight, boys and girls. Call him now. Maybe he'll answer. Maybe he won't. Did we lose Max already? Oh, there he is. Max, can you hear me this time? I can. Are we back? Yep, we're, we're back this time. Okay, we're back on air, yeah? Yes, sir. Finally. Okay, interesting. I wonder what happened then. That was uh, very interesting, wasn't it? It sure was. I'm not quite sure what exactly went on there for a moment. Everything was going well. The internet was actually working just fine. And once we started talking, that's when things just crapped out on us here, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I've been having some uh, interesting stuff going on. Like, Like I was saying when we were talking off air there, I've actually done like 18 interviews this month and I've missed out on three of them because I, I forgot and I've still got five more to do before the end of the month. So it's like a ridiculous amount of attention I've been getting at the moment. And last show that I posted on YouTube, um, I had it actually uploaded to the channel about four hours before it went live. And when I went to check it to make it live, it had already had a copyright claim put against it, which I challenged and it had already had 24 views while it was sitting there unlisted. 
So there's definitely someone watching at the moment. So maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. I don't like to be conspiratorial about these things, but it's interesting that that's a, a first for you. It is. And, uh, yeah, there seems to be a lot of attention at the moment. Oh, yes. And, of course, before we got cut off there, we were talking a little bit about your earliest roots and how you moved school to school because basically you weren't being i guess you could say you weren't being enlightened at all by the public school system and you became i guess bored to some extent correct well i got bored i mean i realized they weren't teaching me what i needed to know it wasn't an education system they weren't educating me and they were they were indoctrinating me now they, they were forcing me to think in ways that i i didn't approve of and I thought, you know, well, what is this? And like I said, I mean, I started questioning things very, very early. You know, when I was four years old, my parents told me we had to buy land. I was horrified. I, I couldn't understand the concept of buying land, the fact that we had to pay to put a roof over our heads. It was, I was horrified. I used to um, ask my teddy bear to please tell God that he'd put me into the wrong world. Could he please take me off and put me onto the other world where I was supposed to be because everyone here was mad because they thought they could own land. That's that's how I was when I was I was four. And, uh, yeah, so it kind of went from there, you know. And I, I just thought I was in a madhouse the whole time. So I found a way to live on the outside of that by being a musician. And I just basically traveled my whole life. And I, I got the opportunity to, um, you know, look at all the stuff and go and, and visit all the places I wanted to see and, and look at all the monuments and all the stuff and, and try to figure out the past. And then when it, it got to the point that I had all the information that I needed, the, the universe basically threw me onto the path of activism so I could share it with the world. So, you know, it, as I was saying before we got cut off, it's not anything I ever planned, being a dissenter or being an activist or doing any of the stuff that I'm doing now. It just kind of happened, you know. Understood. And do you recall what age you were when you became motivated enough to jump into this field, I guess you could say? Well, it's when... Well, it's when 9-11 happened, I really uh, went to went at it full time. I mean, I was playing with bands up until then. I was still playing in bands. And, um, you know, when 9-11 happened, I, I started to take things really seriously. And I started to do this full time because I thought it was necessary to do so. So I ended up selling all my guitars, most of them, and all this sort of stuff, which just to fund my, my path through the activism. And yeah, it just it just worked out that way. So I mean, I'd all, I'd been active before that. I'd always been telling people about this, you know, all through high school and everything, telling people where we were going. I actually met people, you know, about four years ago that I'd known at high school, and they came up to me and they said, "Well, how did you you know all that? Because all the stuff that you used to tell us to watch out for when we were kids, now it's all here. How did you know?" And I said, well, it's obvious, and it's obvious where it's going, and people need to pay attention. So, yeah, but like I said, when 9-11 happened, it became really serious. I and mean, if they're prepared to kill 3,000 people in one day just to bring about this whole end game they want to roll out, then it suddenly got very, very serious. And it's not just a hobby trying to figure this stuff out anymore. Now it's, it's a matter of life and death, and it's a matter of, of whether the human race will survive what's coming or not, you know? Yes, it seems like 9-11 was basically the tipping point for a lot of people out there to wake up and realize that there is a lot more going on than what we are told uh, the general public are left out. Well, there is. And another thing about 9-11 that a lot of people don't realize, I think, is that it was a fishing exercise. You know, that's why they made it so obvious. I mean, they could have done 9-11 a lot better. We know it was staged by the government. We know it wasn't what they told us. But they left so many clues there to show that it was, it was an inside job. 
So it was basically a fishing exercise to see who would take the bait so they can identify us all now. I mean, what they're rolling out now with this mass surveillance, and they've been tracking everybody ever since 9-11. So they've managed to find out where all the people are who are awake and all the people who go along with the government line and create this barrier between them. And now it's about to become a digital barrier, and through social crediting and all the stuff they want to roll out, all the dissidents will now be able to be squeezed out of the system and just denied access to basic services. So they'll end up, you know, destitute or in the prison system or whatever. So, you know, 9-11 was very much a fishing exercise. That's why they've made things so obvious. That's why a lot of the events they stage, they make so obvious because there's ramifications and there's certain pathways they want to lead us down. And 9-11 was not only the start of this end game, it was also a complete fishing exercise to find and locate all of us and all the activists and all the people who can see through the haze. Yes, it's very terrible to see what has gone on. And after so many years, it seems like we still aren't getting any truth about what really went on that morning. And it seems like that's kind of the way it just goes. It won't really share anything with us. It's it's terrible to even uh, even think about really that we have to wait so long before they give us just bits and pieces to the puzzle. For instance, like uh, JFK. Great example. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll never find out the truth of what happened in any of these yeah, things. You know, we're not supposed to. Right. You know, so, I mean, the freedom of information and all this sort of stuff, and they leave it 30 years, and then when you get it, it's redacted, and all the stuff's blacked out, so you can't read it anyway. I mean, it's a complete joke. You know, If we were going to have functional government, they'd be some have some form of transparency, especially in a country like the United States. I mean, it's supposed to be a government of the people, for the people, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, the Constitution and all the founding fathers and all the things that you're told. Yeah. But you don't really get that. Not so much. System, so. Yeah, not, not so much anymore. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, if people if people really knew how corrupt the system was, I mean, these politicians would get lynched. They wouldn't be able to walk down the street. So you can understand why they won't allow you to look. I mean, even Henry Kissinger, he's got uh, stuff written on his his uh, some in his will or whatever that you cannot make any of his documents public until fifty or sixty years after his death. Just to say, none of his children will suffer. You know the the actions of of uh, his uh, his actions anyway. You know, repercussions for his actions. So it's pretty corrupt. This whole system. Understood. And going back to harassment, it seems like you had to deal with a lot of harassment. You had your name muddied up quite a bit. You've been accused of this, that, and the other. And the most popular one is that you work for the CIA. That that seems to be the most popular go to. For anyone out there, including myself, I've been accused of that multiple times, which I think is ridiculous. Well, yeah, I mean, this is what happens. You know, counterintelligence does what it can to muddy the waters and to create as much division as possible, you know. And I've got a lot of uh, flack lately due to my stance on the, the whole Christchurch thing. Oh, yes. Because there's certain stuff that was said about that, which simply isn't true. You know, I mean, and there's a lot of unanswered questions about it. There's a lot of weirdness about the whole Christchurch shooters video. But um, what happened was when it, it happened, you know, when the event happened, within a couple of hours, there were all these uh, videos and all these, these uh, reports being put out saying it was a hoax and it was CGI and all this sort of stuff. And I actually got quite excited about it. I thought, oh, wow, we've got them, we've got them with their pants down. And I got a copy of the video because I wanted to confirm it all. And I, I started thinking, well, hang on, none of this stuff is is actually confirmed by the video. I'm, I'm seeing something different to what these other people are saying anyway. And it got me sort of thinking, why did these claims of hoax come out so quickly? Why do people want us arguing over 
whether the shell casings are right or whether there's enough blood or whether there's this or whether it's that. I started thinking, what's what's in the peripheral vision of this video? What, and, what don't they want us to look at? And by the way, Max, you you allegedly and, saw this video. You were what? I Pardon? said I said you allegedly saw this video. Well, I allegedly saw there the video. There you go. Just saving um, you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, I started really looking through it, and I started seeing that there's all of this stuff going on in in the peripheral vision of this video. There's there's people in red. There's markers. There's other people there. There's everything in the video to prove that the government of New Zealand is lying is all there in the video. You know, to, to blow the whole case open. There's even a car there that leaves halfway through, and we've got the registration number of the car, and the car is even seen later that day driving through a police roadblock, and they just let it straight through. So, yeah, we've got all this information right there on video to prove that the New Zealand government is lying. But you try to bring this information to people, and it gets all lost in all these claims of hoax and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, so a lot of this is constructed to lead people in the wrong direction. It's just the way it is. That's what they do. And that's how counterintelligence works. And so because I've been pointing out these little factors of the video, I've got all these attacks and trolls and whatever, yeah. hundreds, literally hundreds of trolls. That happens. So it's just the way it goes. It, you don't get the flack if you're not over the target. So it doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. And you can't win them all really either. Everyone is either going to really like you or really dislike you. That's just the way it goes here, especially when you put yourself out there. And I'm glad you brought this up because not long ago, you actually had a debate against Mr. James Fetzer. It wasn't really quite a debate, but a debate nonetheless. I had no idea this actually took place, but a listener had sent me that video, and I knew Jim would eventually get fired up, and that was actually incredible to see. I also want to note that uh, Jim has been on my show many, many, many times before, and we agree and disagree with each other on multiple things, just like everyone should be doing. And, of course, in terms of the New Zealand shooting, I saw the video that was uploaded very shortly after that incident took place and it looked pretty legit to me for the record and i'm not exactly someone who believes in every conspiracy that they see online i'm not someone who thinks all mass shootings are a hoax that's not the way my mind operates to to be perfectly honest with you well you've you've got to look at each one i mean they're all connected Absolutely, but you've got to look at each one as a standalone event. Otherwise, you go in there with confirmation bias. Correct. You can't go in there expecting it to be hoax or expecting it to be real. You've just got to put the cards on the table and let them fall where they may and then get from it what you can. You know, and that's what I did when I looked at it. And what my problem was, I mean, in that so-called debate, I mean, I just had four questions I wanted to answer because James had claimed that the shell casings are disappearing and they, and they, if you look at it, it's choppy bandwidth and they do disappear in the frames, but they reappear. True. And he's claiming it's CGI. I mean, if you, if it was CGI, I mean, you wouldn't, they wouldn't disappear for a start. If it was CGI, it'd be a lot more um, accurate than what it is. You know, you wouldn't have those frames dropping out if they'd faked it. Now, what you're seeing is video compression. And I just pointed out, look, the shell casings are appearing on the ground. So how do you explain that? And he was saying, oh, I don't want to accuse you of manipulating evidence and stuff. I thought, well, that's, that's a bit disrespectful. And another thing he'd said was that the, he'd run outside and he'd shot someone. He was just shooting down the street at nothing. And I said, well, here's a photograph of the, the man running away, and here's a photograph of the body on the ground. And another thing he'd claim was he's shooting someone down the back alley that he'd shot nobody. And I said, well, he actually, here's the man in the corner of the yard, and here's the frame where you see the body fall. 
And another claim was that he'd shot the shotgun through the car window and it left no damage in the window. And I showed him the damage. And I said, well, here's, here's a shell hole through the window. So why have you made these claims when they're proven by the video to be not true? And he wouldn't answer the questions. He just misdirected, started talking about whether there was enough blood, why the bodies were in the corners and all stuff that I agree, it's stuff that needs to be looked at. But that's not what I was asking him. I'm simply asking, why did you make these claims? Because you're muddying the waters around four very, very solid facts of this video that show the government is lying. You know, we can see a man in red there when he arrives. We can see that same man in red standing by the wall. We can totally know that he had had to be alerted. That there were I didn't notice that. From three different points in the parameter. Right. I didn't notice that at first. Just in time. I, I was just saying. And, and I, I there didn't... was a car. Uh-huh. And there was a car parked there, and we've even got the number plate of the car. These are four very, very important points that we could bring this whole thing totally unraveled with by pulling at these strings. Right. But he was saying, no, no, I'm creating noise around all of his fabrication and speculation of, of disappearing shell casings and not enough blood and all this stuff that you could debate back and forth until the end of time and not know because you're not there. You know, so – I started looking at this, and I just wanted answers to these questions, and he just refused to answer them. And I thought, well, that's that's very revealing, you know? Right. And I didn't even realize that there was a man in red until you pointed that out. Never caught that. Well, yeah, and the fact that he, the fact that, that man in red appears again when he shoots the last woman lying out in the street, that man runs out, and he runs out to get that woman, and you, he looks at that wall on the left there, and there's nobody there. But then he runs out. Six seconds later, he's standing at the at the gate, shooting the woman in the driveway. And in that frame, you can see the man in red is standing halfway down the hall. He's run out with him to make to watch him get this girl. So there's a handler there. There's people there working with him that are dressed in red, so he knew not to shoot them. I mean, that's what it would appear to be happening anyway. And there was that car that left halfway through, and he actually came out and pointed the gun at that car, and then didn't shoot and then ran out to get the guy on the footpath. And while he was shooting the guy down the footpath or shooting the guy down the back alley, that car drove away, and they were both in full view of each other. This blows the whole official story completely out of the water, just those facts. And these are the facts that I was saying that are revealed. That, that can't, but they're not open for speculation or conjecture or anything like that. These are solid. This is solid evidence that the government is lying, and we need to get it out to the people. And uh, it was saying, no, no, it's all about the disappearing shell casings and the fact that it's all CGI and fake. And I'm, I'm trying to muddy the waters and with insignificant details, trying to claim parts of it are real when it's all fake. You know, and I'm saying, well, you're not really helping the matter, Jim. I mean, this is important information. And you got real mad at you, by the way. He was furious with you. Yeah, but he wouldn't answer the questions. He just wouldn't answer the questions. It was like an hour, an hour and a half or two hours or something. It got nowhere. He just wouldn't answer the questions. That's true. And you were saying to Jim that you weren't there. And I wasn't there either, but I didn't need to be on the Titanic to know that it sunk, Max. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, this is... uh... Yeah, all of the all of the prima facie evidence says that it's real. And when you go through it frame by frame, I mean, I actually even posted an article on my website. If you go to my website, thecrowhouse.com, and you look in the headlines, there's an article there called Max Egan on the Christchurch shootings. And if you go through that, I go through step by step, and I debunk pretty well every claim Jim Fetz has made because it isn't supported by the video. And I show you the relevant frames of the video. I've even got some zip files there where you can download. I've got an analysis of one of the headshots. I've got an analysis of uh, the shell casings disappearing. I've got analysis of all these things there, and I've proved all of it to be false claims. And there, yeah, at the at the end of the article, you'll see that there are four very, very important points that are not open for debate. 
debate that need to be brought to public attention that can blow the lid off this whole thing. And I think because I'm focused on that and I'm actually the only person I think that's actually pointed all this out, I think this is why I'm getting the enormous amount of trolling, the enormous oh. amount of – I think believe people are even mentioning me in videos saying I can't be trusted or whatever. So all sorts of stuff. Wow. People that have been my friends, I thought, people that have interviewed me in the past and stuff, apparently I'm getting attacks from all sorts of people simply because I'm pointing these things out in the video. You know? So now they deem you as some sort of threat. And yeah, going back to the incident really quickly here, it looked entirely real to me the way the shooter was moving and staying cool, calm and collected. I assumed he had some sort of training from a possible terrorist organization. I was just making those sort of assumptions. And it it seems as time has gone by, my assumptions seem to be somewhat sort of accurate. The fact that he did travel around in different regions where these terrorist camps are well known to, uh, known to exist. And of course, I could be wrong, but we will have to wait until further information is somehow leaked. And um, to be honest with you, we probably won't get any more information about the shooting, just like the whole Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, I don't think we'll get any more information from them from um, about it from mainstream sources at all. The interesting thing about Brendan Tarrant is that he entered Turkey in 2013 and the day he entered Turkey, the German embassy issued what it called a concrete and credible terrorist alert and shut the embassy down. And he was only in Turkey for three days. And the day before he left, there was a bombing and then he left after the bombing. Whether that was just a coincidence, we don't know. But then in 2016 or 2017, he entered Turkey again, this time for 42 days. And the day he entered Turkey, the German embassy again issued what it called a credible and concrete terror threat and shut its embassy down. And it's only shut its embassy down twice since the year 2000. And both times is the day Brenton Tarrant entered Turkey. So that's pretty interesting. You know? So, And when you look at the Christchurch shooting, it, it, it seems to have MKUltra and, and you know, Tavistock and Manchurian Candidate written all over it. Like this guy has been trained to do this and he's been triggered to do this. You know, whether he's even in jail in New Zealand now, he could have been shipped back to some island somewhere. He could be quite safe. We don't know. You know, we don't know anything that they tell us to be true. But another interesting thing, you know, when you look at this event, like I said, it looks like it's got Tavistock and MKUltra all over it. So if he'd been trained somewhere and people at high levels within the German embassy knew that this guy was an MKUltra assassin who could be triggered any time simply by a simple colour coordination or sound coordination or combination of whatever, he could be triggered to simply go and carry out an assassination. They could have shut down their embassy because they thought, could have thought, well, maybe he's going to do it here. This guy's, this guy's a sleeper. He's a sleeper agent who could be triggered at any moment. So maybe that's why they shut their embassy down and it sort of offers a suggestion of that anyway. You know, when he left Turkey that time after being there for 42 days, he went to Israel and he was in Israel for 90 days. And they let him straight into Israel. I mean, he'd just been to Turkey. He'd been to, all through the Ottoman Empire, as you say. He's been to North Korea, all, all sorts of bizarre places that are apparently on the red flag list. And yet they just let him straight into Israel for 90 days. And then he's in Pakistan six months ago saying how much he loves the Pakistani people, recommending everybody come there, which is a Muslim nation. 
And then six months later, we find him shooting up this mosque in New Zealand saying, you know, he hates Muslims, rah, rah, rah. So, you know, this has got uh, MK Ultra and it's got, you know, black opera, you know, black, black operation written all over it. You know, whether this guy was an MK Ultra assassin, whether he was programmed to do it, whether he's simply uh, trained to do it, but he's certainly not just your average guy from Grafton who decided to go and shoot up a mosque in New Zealand like they're telling us. And that's what it seems like to me. And again, it's troubling that the government will not reveal any of the fun stuff. It's really terrible. They hide all the good stuff away from the regular citizens. And then that's when the media likes to tell you what to buy, who to hate, who to fear. You know, the, the story, you know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always how it goes. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. But uh, I think, like I said, I mean, that this is what I've been looking into, and also that car, the the car that leaves. I mean, we've got the registration number of that car. It's a it's a silver Toyota Will VS, and there are only five thousand of that model made. It's quite a rare vehicle. It's like two thousand two, two thousand and four, something like that. Uh, Toyota Will VS registration FQH eight seven five. And that car was parked right at the front of the mosque. It was there for the whole time the shooting was was kept being carried out, and it left in full view of the shooter while he was shooting someone outside. And as I said, it was seen driving through a police barricade later that day. So that's a very important piece of evidence, and people of New Zealand need to be asking about that car, finding out who owns it, and getting the owner to come forward for questioning because that's a big piece of the puzzle. And not only that, it also blows the official story out of the window. You know, and the fact that they're not even allowed to watch the the video in New Zealand. Yeah, that's... ten years, ten to fourteen years jail for even looking at this video under the the, the claim that it's terrorist content or supporting terrorist content or whatever. It's, it's absolutely absurd. The media should be pulling this video apart and talking about this man in red, talking about this car leaving, and and putting it out there and and doing proper journalism. That would certainly help things. Yeah, that's a pretty stiff fine just for viewing this video. I'm not quite sure I've ever heard of a video causing that sort of uh, trouble anywhere before. Well, we've seen it ripple out everywhere. We've seen massive censorship come in Australia, like BitChute is blocked, Gab is blocked, 4chan is blocked, 8chan is blocked, all sorts of places. You've got fines just come in now in the UK as well. You can get 15 years jail for viewing uh, what is classed as terrorist propaganda online which is going to be anything that, you know, defames the government, really. So, you know, all sorts of stuff going out. So we've got in Austin who was basically uh, banned from gravel because he received a detention from Brendan Tarrant. You know, they can work this out with everyone's Patreons and stuff. All they've got to do is set up even a dummy account to just donate 20 bucks a month to a whole bunch of truth channels and then set up this dummy account and fake some shooting or whatever, you know, whatever. Just create some fake person to do it, link him to all the people that he's donated to from Patreon, and suddenly you have the police showing up at your house because you're linked to terrorism and you're banned from travel anywhere. Yeah, that's you know, very easy for them to, to roll all this sort of stuff out on the back of what, what has happened in Christchurch. And people have taken the bait hook, line, and sinker, you know. They faked a few shootings. They faked a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of questions with Sandy Hook. There's a lot of questions with the Boston bombing. You know, but they've got everybody thinking now that all these events are fake. So all they've had to do is go and stage a real one, and now you've got all the media. They want the media to run with this fake news, this hoax claim, because then they can put their whole fake meme, shut the independent media down. I mean, they, they really need people to run with this because it suits their plans to run with it. And it certainly doesn't suit their plans for people to be looking at the, the actual facts revealed in this video, which is, as I said, the men in red, that car leaving the registration. 
encryption number, all the stuff that we can use to actually launch an investigation into this. They don't want you looking at that. So it's pretty obvious what they're doing. I mean, and the way it, it came out within two hours of this uh, this shooting happening, uh, you know, the whole claims of hoax and CGI and all that have absolutely damaged control because they revealed far too much on the video by these men in red, you know, which even questions me. It comes back to the whole MK Ultra thing, you know. I mean, whether they meant to stream it or not. I mean, Facebook went down for the day before then. It's like they wanted everyone's attention on there. Maybe they did want to stream it, but then maybe maybe Brenton Tarrant, I mean, maybe he knew it was under mind control. I don't know. It's it's I can't no matter how it goes down, I can't figure out for the life of me why they allowed these men in red and this car to get put on the video. Because no matter how you do it, whether they staged it, whether he was MK Ultra, whether it was a fake, whether it was a hoax, whatever, none of the scenarios you can put out there make any sense for these these men in red and this car to be on the video. But there they are. You know, they blew it so, so badly with this video. And that's why it's banned. You know, it's not because it's CGI and you'll find out and all that sort of stuff. They want you looking at that because they want you arguing about shell casings, whether there's enough blood, whether there's, whether there's – they don't want you seeing these guys dead and they don't want you talking about this car. It's classic misdirection, you know, it's damage control. I agree with you there. Uh, you were breaking up just uh, ever so slightly, but I think most people could understand what you were saying, definitely. And you mentioned a different – well, multiple image boards there. And there's been a remarkable trend in the social media realm and conspiracy circles. As of late, the ever so popular Q type movement that we've seen basically come from HN. I believe it's where it, it began. I, I think that's where it is. And of course, anything that comes out from these uh, image boards, I always find uh, highly uh, questionable in my opinion. Um, what's your take on the whole Q movement? Look, you know, it's got its good aspects and its bad aspects. It's it's good in as much as it's bringing people a lot of awareness and it's saying you know, a lot of the stuff that I hear from the, the Q, um, Q-tubers, I call them, <laughs> is good stuff. I mean, what he's saying is, is spot on, what he's saying. But then there's this whole trust the plan. Wait, don't do anything. It's all good. It's coming. We're going to fix things. There's going to be a rest. All this stuff, which I don't buy into. I've been hearing this for, for 20 years. You know, I mean, I remember back in the 70s, disclosure's coming. It's any minute, it's imminent. They booked the airtime, it's coming. Just wait, don't do anything, don't rock the boat. You know, and the same thing, every day this 5G control grid is rolling. And in six months to another year, we're not going to be able to do anything. We're, not, we're going to be backed into a corner and everyone's going to wake up and go, hang on, how did I end up in this smart prison? And all the information will be will be deleted and gone. And if you if you question it, then you'll be deleted and gone. I mean... This is the thing. I mean, it's it's bringing a lot of awareness to people, but unfortunately, it's it's allowing them to just sit back and wait for the newsletter that tells them it's safe to go outside now. You know, and it won't be safe to go outside until they change. It's a little weird. Their perspective change the way they interact with the people around them. You know, I keep telling people, you know, this whole system is based on our compliance to it, and it's based on our um, our willingness to step outside our moral compass. In order to just uh, you know obey the laws of, of whatever's said, you know whatever these these criminals write down, parasites, you know. So that's the problem. If we simply change our moral compass and and love each other and respect each other and, and say, hey, look, we're not going to do this anymore. We've realised that we don't have government here. What we've got is a multinational, multi-generational criminal cabal masquerading as an international government system, and you're all working together. 
to manufacture all these wars and all this division against nations and all this stuff. It's all manufactured. You know, we don't actually have to do any of this. I mean, that's the way out. So Q is doing a good thing in, in bringing this awareness to people, but a bad thing in causing people to just sit back and not participate in making the change themselves. You know, if we change ourselves, we could, we could you know, if there's some wide epiphany and everyone just, just woke up and went, actually, hey, we don't actually have to do this, you know, we can do something else, we could change the world in three seconds if everyone just suddenly found out who they are and realized who they are. Now, the story of a man I met on the beach, a 70-year-old man sitting there crying his eyes out. I walked up and said, what's, what's the matter? Why are you crying? And he said, I just realized I could have done this 60 years ago, just sat on the beach and appreciated the sky and smelt this, this stories and just, just me, just, just experienced being me. You know, we don't get to do that. You, we spend our lives trying to climb to the top of the pile and it's all bad and we think it's going to suck. I mean, like that is bringing a lot of awareness, but don't sit back and wait for Trump or anyone to, to save you from government. Don't wait for elements within the government to save you from the government. The government <laughs> is the problem. You know, the, right. deep state, the deep state exists if the state wasn't there, and as long as the state is there, there's always going to be a deep state. The deep state is what happens when they turn the cameras off and close the doors and they go inside and start talking amongst themselves. That's the deep state. You know? I'm with you on that. So, I see a lot of these uh, individuals on, on Twitter they simply repeat what others say and they run with it. And there's a lot of information out there and a lot of uh, disinformation out there. A lot of these individuals don't know what discernment even means. It's the same crowd that seems to believe that Jesus is coming back to save them. They also see President Trump as being some sort of savior as as well. It's pretty amazing. Well, I like to I like to point out to them that Jesus was an activist. You know, he was an activist, and if he wasn't an activist, you would probably never have heard of him. You know, and he was an activist, and he spent his life speaking out against the government and speaking out against the system and doing all of this stuff right up until the moment that he spoke out against the monetary system and went over and overturned the tables of the money changers and, and said all that sort of stuff. And when he did that, he was dead within a week. That's the way it works, you know. So, but he was an activist. So, and he, he showed the path. If you're a Christian, then you should follow the path and you should become an activist and go and overturn the tables of the money changers. That's what he did. Yes. And that was the example I wanted yeah, to set. Right. And Max, you, of course, are an activist yourself. I'm curious, have you ever been physically assaulted by a result of that? I, I have. I've, uh, I've had a couple of run-ins. I, I did get a couple of cracked ribs oh, at a, a conference that I did one time. I got jumped and got beaten up pretty badly. But, uh, you actually that, got jumped. It's just part of the... <laughs> that that's kind of yeah, uh, ridiculous. It was a bit uncomfortable. It was about I mean, it was just a warning. Just a warning. God, as he said, let consider that a warning. Wow. And uh, I mean, he could have killed me. I, he he got me from behind, and he punched me in the ear. Was the first thing from behind. And oh, he got me sucks. in the eardrum. So oh, that's even worse. I, I totally lost balance. I was I was I was down. I mean, you, you you've got you completely disoriented when you get punched in the eardrum. You lose your balance. Yes, of course. And. Uh, so I went down. I went down. Then I got a, a few kicks around the ribs and stuff. So cracked a couple of ribs. Damn. So, and, and how old yeah. were you when that happened? I was 60, 59, 60. I think, I think I just turned 60. So you're 60 years old and you're getting jumped. I'm 61 now, yeah. Oh, my God. So it, it goes with the territory. It's just the way it is. I can't imagine being jumped at the age I'm at now. So I'm thinking, you have no business being a jump, my friend. Yeah, it was a bit uncomfortable, but like I said, I mean, he, <laughs> a little he could have killed me. I mean, I was down. He, he could easily have, have killed me. He could have kicked wow. me in the head. He didn't. So I consider myself lucky. 
Um, I didn't slow down though. Yeah. I kind of spoke louder from that point. So I thought, well, is, is that the best you can do? That's you can't be very serious about it then. So I don't think I'm going to shut up. All I'm going to do now is talk about that as well. So Exactly. Well, that's good for you. Yeah. Definitely don't back down that way. I just think it's terrible that certain individuals out there, if their ideologies don't align with yours, they feel the need to become violent and go out and harm you. Well, well, there was a heckler at my talk. Uh, it was a woman heckler, but uh, it was a man who jumped. But it was a woman heckler who heckled all through my talk and then sat out in the floor and made phone calls with two different cell phones for the rest of the day and handed out pro-Israeli pamphlets to people. Ooh. So apparently she'd flown over from Israel for the conference. Just for just for you. Just do that. So, Well, apparently Ken O'Keefe was going to be speaking there as well. It was back when I was still friends with Ken O'Keefe and – he was apparently going to be speaking there as well, but he didn't end up showing up. But apparently, the, you know, the both of us were supposed to be there. So a delegate from Israel had come out to basically heckle the conference. Yeah, and, well, and I got to the, end of the conference. Actually, I left the conference and I went to a restaurant, and then I went to the restaurant. So they followed me to the restaurant, which was they followed you all the way out there. Wow, that is not good. Yeah, but it goes with the territory. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. I don't really do fear. I'm pretty spotted at the moment. So yeah, I've got a lot of people watching out for me, even when I go to these conferences and stuff now. And, and I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't think I really attract too much of that anymore. So yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It just, it's just part of the territory. Very good, very good. And Max, are you still in the chat room? By the way, uh, I am. I should actually, yeah, I'll have a look. I am. I can look now. Yes. Now I am. Sorry. Okay. I was just sorry, curious. guys. I put that up on the screen, but now I'm back in the chat room. I was just curious. That's all. And uh, moving along here, I understand that you've been very focused on 5G as of late. And I'm curious, is this potentially harmful for the general public out there? Absolutely, it is. I mean, 5G is a weapon system. 5G has been used by the military. Millimeter waves have been used by the military for years. Active denial systems, any type of EMF application, military application you can think of is the 5G, you know, 5G carry wave is used for it. So, you know, this is what they're putting in place, claiming it's just for our communication. It's a very, very bad system. It's a very dangerous system. I mean, you can boil water with 5G so they could you know, effectively boil everybody if they wanted to. You look at some of the electromagnetic weapons that they've got, they've done field tests where they found they're able to induce the symptoms of Alzheimer's in someone you know, 20, 24 years old within about two weeks through certain carrier waves. So they could conceivably give the entire population Alzheimer's and turn them all into muley idiots to just wipe themselves out via their own inability to be able to fend for themselves. I mean, there's all sorts of things they can do with this. Whether they can, you look at things like the voice of God, you know, change your emotions, all sorts of stuff. Some of the, the patents that they've got, some of the DARPA applications for this, some of the experiments that they've done. You just got to look at the CIA documents on EMF weaponry and um, non-lethal weapons and all of this sort of stuff. So very, very dangerous that they're, they're putting this blanket over our whole, you know, everything. I mean, all of our cities, over our whole whole society. It's very, very dangerous stuff. And plus, you know, the high level of radiation that it causes anyway, it'd be like we're all living inside airport scanners all the time. You know, so this is where we're going with it. And it gives the government way, way too much control over everybody. Now, when you couple that with the IoT, how everything's going to have a, an IP address, everything will be tracked, everybody will be tracked, everything they do will be tracked, and the social crediting system that goes with it, where they can start denying you access to essential services when you start stepping outside their lines, 
it gives the government way too much control. And it's just going to be downright bad for our health anyway. You know, they've done field tests in in Holland where all the birds fell out of the sky. There's, they've done field tests just recently in Zurich. I actually got a Skype call or a Skype message from a friend of mine the other day in Zurich, and he mentions that uh, he's got a friend in Zurich and they started the 5G testing and people started getting nosebleeds and headaches and all sorts of stuff, and he was leaving town and going for the hills to, to live, in, live up in a cabin. So that's how bad it's it's going to be, I think. You know, It's very, very dangerous. But we've been having sort of actions mounted here. We've got a barrister that's come on board and a couple of doctors that have come on board as well that are saying, yes, electromagnetic radiation is bad. And this barrister is pursuing it through legal means, saying that this basically constitutes an assault against the people, prevents people from being able to live their lives in quiet enjoyment in their own home due to them being under an electromagnetic assault constantly. And he's pursuing it through that means. And he's actually having a good deal of success with it. So that's someone I'm going to have on the show in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to get him to see what he can offer people overseas as well, because, of course, this guy's working with Australian law, Westminster law. He can offer stuff that will definitely work in Australia and will probably work in Canada and possibly England, but I want to have a talk to him to see what we can apply to the United States as well because, of course, you guys would have to do it state by state, which is how we're doing it over here as well, and we're doing it according to the uh, the, the laws of what, what constitutes an assault. Basically, you'll find in most societies, you are able in, – in your own home, you are entitled to quiet enjoyment of your life in your own home. You'll find this in most democratic societies or whatever, you know, any, anywhere where you've got a democratic or a republic or whatever, you should find that this is part of your criminal code. And anything that disturbs your quiet enjoyment of your life in your own home constitutes an assault against you. So if you can establish that there is a medical – assault, you know, there is a medical condition that can affect you by simply being subject to this radiation, well, this constitutes uh, an assault against your physical person, something that's making you ill, and you are now unable to live your life in quiet enjoyment in the comfort of your own home. This constitutes an assault, so this assault needs to stop. That's the approach that we're, we're taking here in Australia, and we're, like I said, having a good deal of success with it. So we're trying to find some sort of an application for the United States, but, you know, you guys, your legal system is so convoluted. Big Each time. state sort of basically makes up its own laws. So you'd probably have to talk to your sheriffs about it or something because the sheriff, I think, is the top of the, the legal system in your state, isn't it? He's, a, he's above everybody else, isn't he, I think? I Well, not, not so much. I just think that not even a normal citizen – can actually do anything about this. I think the whole plan for this has already been established and it will be set forth with or without our approval, unfortunately. Yeah, see, that's the problem you guys have over there. I yeah, mean, it's that, bad it is a here problem. As well. yeah, but it's the a... thing with our constitution, the way this was, this was set up, the criminal code for each state can't really be tampered with because it's the criminal code. Even the, even the federal government can't really change the criminal code, I don't think in our country so um, maybe but yeah it'd be really good to see something that can be done in the united states because otherwise you guys are going to be in so much trouble with 5g i mean the, the, what it's going to do to our health is is absolutely terrible and the 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 incredible amount of applications of this like i said any type of electromagnetic weapon you can think of it's all 5g that's that, that's all of it 
dibbed in ice systems, microwave cannons, you know. You can, like the voice of God that they used in the, in the first Gulf War for the Iraqi soldiers, all of this is 5G. So it's, it's very, very disturbing that uh, this is just being rolled out blanket across the United States. Oh, yes. And of course, my understanding of this is just one of the many other ways that these private companies will get a hold of your personal data. And But not only that, uh, already people are complaining about different Wi-Fi signals and people, some people reporting that um, it's led to their children uh, having autism. I've heard various claims of this, even just normal Wi-Fi. So I could only imagine what 5G would do. And of course, not only is that a concern, but uh, MIT has always uh, been hard at work using their their um, great electronics out there and using Wi-Fi to see through walls. It's a uh, pretty remarkable. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities mm-hmm. that they can they can you know apply this to. And the thing is, you know, with the whole social crediting and the smart system they're bringing in as well, you're putting up virtual fences for people and stuff. The tracking that happens off your cell phones. This is an integral part of the system. Is the cell phone, the smartphone. People need to throw these things away. They need to throw away the smartphones. That's a really hard thing for people to want to do. Big time. And by but the way, it, it's away the smart these phones track everything you do. Every oh. single thing you do. Even, they've even got barometers in them. They know when you're getting in and out of vehicles. They know when you're going upstairs. They know when you're going up. They know what you're buying. They know everything you're doing. And these are the smart smartphones are what they're using to track people as they're moving around town and going through these virtual fences that they're putting up. So people have got to throw these things away. Absolutely, throw them away. I've been saying this for years. Throw away your smartphone. You don't need this thing. You know? Yeah, some people are even reporting that cell phones, uh, having them in your pocket is actually – dropping the sperm count in males out there. I'm not exactly sure if that is an accurate study or not, but that's just something I've read. And by the way, that uh, the uh, technology that MIT is uh, using for the, the Wi-Fi to see through the walls, it's called Wi-Fi. For those out there who want to look further into that, for those that think I'm probably making this up, uh, go ahead and, and make a little search and you'll see all the... Strange things that go on. Every demonstration I've seen of this has already been played down in terms of the capability and the uh, imaging. I'm sure now it's a lot more complex than what uh, they're sharing with us, Max. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. They only ever tell us just a little bit of what's going on, brother. They never tell the whole story. They never do. Listen, I've just got my lunch arriving. so Oh, yes. No problem. I'm, I might have to uh, sign off soon. Do you about that uh, drop? Out that we had. Oh folks. yeah, come in, come in, Don. So very uh, unfortunate. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. But let's let's do this again uh, very soon, where we'll have a, a conversation, hopefully without the the uh, the, inter- the intermission. Oh yes, we'll we'll do this again in the uh, near future. We'll definitely touch base with you and get into all sorts of different uh, subjects here. And again do want to thank you so much for being a part of the program. I know you have a busy day, so I will definitely let you get going. I do. I've got busy, busy few days, but uh, oh, yes. I would have, I would have stayed a bit longer, but uh, I didn't expect the the big twenty minute dropout that we had. Oh, so, I know it's terrible. Unfortunately, I, I had someone. I've already put, I already put them off from arriving for an hour. So, oh yes, no worries. It's, uh, it's the way. It's... Yes, Max, and before all right, guys, thank you very much, and thanks to all the people who hung around in the chat. It was a shame we had like a hundred people in there before oh, the dropout. Know. It's uh, oh, Max, that's the way it goes. Max, did you, did you want to plug your website before you get going here? 
The website is thecrowhouse.com. Anybody who wants to hear any of my stuff can, can go there and find it all, find all the links there. If you do leave this up on YouTube or whatever, I suppose this will be the one that will stay there, or whether you're going to edit that bit out or whatever, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share the link. No problem. Well. No problem. We'll let you go, Max. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Max Egan, a great guy, great guest. And, of course, when we return, we have another soul to talk to. Hang tight, boys and girls. We'll be right back. Sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. And this may be our wake-up call to never, ever let this happen again. Uh, we've become complacent in a lot of ways. We get stuck on our own little heads about what's real and what's not real. And we think our lives are not going to ever be affected by that and no one's going to call us on it. But maybe this is a wake-up call that we, as a civilization, need to grow up. Welcome back to the program, boys and girls. I do apologize. That was a very long break. And what happened there was I wasn't able to get a hold of my second guest. I have been kind of concerned about that gentleman. I was really concerned. I was hoping he was okay because everything seemed to be just fine with him. I talked to him not that long ago and now he's gone. Very strange. Nonetheless, we do have a very special soul here. And Mr. James Fetzer, what's going on, James? Hey, 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 Michael. Well, we're reaching a fascinating point in the lawsuit that Lenny Posner, one of the fake parents from Sandy Hook, brought against me for allegedly defaming him by describing a death certificate he had given to a research colleague named Kelly Watt, a fabrication. But, you know, we prove it. Nobody died at Sandy Hook, that it was a FEMA drill. We even have the manual. I published a book about it with 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors. We established a school had been closed by 2008, that there were no students there. And all of the events on the ground confirmed that it had been, uh, were in conformity with the FEMA requirements. For example, you know, it was a two-day exercise beginning at 8 a.m. on the 13th, ending at 11.59 that night to be evaluated the following day, which is the 14th, which they feigned to be the day of the shooting. And in fact, there were many participants who became confused about the dates. They already put up donation websites uh, the 13th, the day before. Even Adam Lanza, the alleged shooter's, uh, uh, the death was initially recorded in the Social Security death index as having occurred on the 13th, making his feet and shooting 20 children and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. But the fact is, it's a fabrication. I mean, any death certificate from Sandy Hook would have to be a fabrication because it was a FEMA drill. We even have Paul Preston, who's a school administrator from the L.A. area who supervised, you know, drills who was so disturbed by what he saw being broadcast from Newtown that day that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education, all of whom confirmed to him 
that had been a drill, that no one had died, and that was done to promote gun control. So obviously, when this guy comes up with a death certificate, it's a fake, it's a phony. I base that on an inspection of it. It's a very peculiar document. It looks like it's the bottom two-thirds of a real death certificate with the top third of a fake. It has no file number. It has the wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m. when the shooting officially took place between 9.30 and 9.40. It has uh, what's supposed to be a social security number at the bottom right stricken out, which turns out to be very odd because when they filed the complaint, they did it on the basis of the claim that a death certificate that was in every material respect the same as the one I described as a, as a fabrication had been certified by the state of uh, Connecticut. And in the one that was certified, there's nothing in the box for Social Security, which in, a, in addition, to, I think, strengthens my argument, there is no such soul as Noah Posner. In fact, we've been able to prove that he was actually a fiction made up of photographs of the party supposed to be his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, so that when Kelly, it was Kelly Watt herself, the same who'd received the death certificate from Lenny after they'd had a hundred hours of conversation extending over a six-month period. Believe it or not, Michael, she had six months of conversation with Noah Posner telling him she didn't believe a thing he said, didn't she believe he had a son, didn't believe he died, asked for proof, and he eventually sent her this death certificate. I think it was a blunder, and now they're trying to make amends. But it also appears he does this to harass Sandy Hook students. He actually yes. has a group called the Honor Network. The Honor Network. I'm very familiar with them, uh, Jim. And by the way, let's hold that thought for a second. I do believe there is a call for you, Jim. Let's take that call. Hey, Jim, it's Frank Bacon. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks to uh, having you on the, uh, um, the end of the last interview with Max Egan, because I know you guys were a little uh, uh, cross on something. But <laughs> That's true. I, I got to know something. No uh, I had Vinnie Eastwood on yesterday, and he was wanting to support Max Egan. And I, you know, we had a very interesting exchange. <laughs> uh, Matt, by the way, uh Dr. Fetzer, I just had spoken to Max here on the program, and I mentioned the, the debate, and I said you were furious with him at one point. Yeah, well, I think that's fair to say. I was, I was yeah. quite uh, provoked by you his were. position, and you know, look, I began with this exchange open-minded and thinking he was a halfway decent guy, and I concluded, uh, convinced that in fact he's not. I mean, he's. He's a purveyor of disinformation. This is very interesting. He cited during our exchange four different specific items, windshield, crack, uh, something about the body, something about, oh, shooting down the alley and there right. being a person. That, oh, the ejected mm -hmm. shell casing being real and being a, being a matter of bandwidth. Uh, well, I, I was unimpressed at the time. And in the meanwhile, Mona Alexis Presley did a follow-up and published a blog and everything we're talking about, you can find blogs at jamesfetzer.org, entitled Is Max Egan Right? You know, and she found all four of the claims he made were un incapable of being substantiated. They were, they were clearly fabrications of their own. So it's not only Lenny Posner is making up fabrications about Sandy York, but Max Egan <clears throat> about New you know, Zealand. It, and I was, I was kind of surprised, you... but also interested when Vinnie Eastwood wanted to defend Max. Oh yes, <laughs> and I think I think it's interesting you brought up uh, Posner. It's it's curious. Um, Alex Jones is getting sued by uh, the families of Sandy Hook, 
And why isn't he bringing up any of the evidence that you've covered in your books uh, to a civil defense? Do you have any idea? I, uh, listen, let me tell you how far I went. When I discovered he was being sued by Lenny in uh, of the court in Texas, I actually wrote to the court and uh, uh, submitted an amicus curiae friend of the court brief with five different exhibits. They're in the files in the court in Texas. They show photographs comparing Noah Posner with Michael Vabner. They show a fourfold transition of Noah Posner into Michael Vabner. Photographs, independent photographs from a website of Michael Vabner, an older photograph of Michael Vabner. I, I gave him enough evidence to exonerate himself right there. I'd also been writing yeah. to Jerry Corsi and to someone which may, who may or may not be Alex Jones. I mean, frankly, since 2006, when he organized the American Scholars Conference about 9-11 out in Los Angeles and invited me to be the keynote speaker, Alex Jones and I really haven't had communications, but I have made efforts to send him a copy of the book, which anyone can download for free. Just put in the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. Right. I, I'm now, by the way, increasingly convinced that Lenny Posner had a role to play in getting the book taken down from Amazon when it had sold nearly 500 copies in less than a month. I mean, that was really taking off like a rocket. It's just like when I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2005. By the end of 2006, we had 800 members. I mean, unbelievable. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, fascinating. Alex is throwing it. There's no question about it. He's throwing it. You think this he's throwing it? That's what I was going to say. Is no that, doubt is, about is, it at all. No. My next question was, is he just kind of going down and taking a, I don't know, probably a payoff or something just to have his name stricken from the uh, popularity contest? Because you guys brought it up earlier, at least. Michael did. By the way, good evening, Michael. It's good to talk to you again. What's going on, buddy? Hey, what about this Q thing? Isn't Q kind of replacing the whole InfoWars groups up there, wouldn't you say? It's very unusual. Uh, not really sure if he's replacing uh, that sort of uh, line of thinking, but definitely. Well, you and I were early on this research, I think. I, I, I'd be one to do right. that first. You know, saw this coming down the pike that, that Alex Jones might be lying down and something else might be taking its place to paint narratives. To well, you did actually. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so it's good to have Fetzer on. I'll let you guys get back to your discussion. I was just very curious about you taking on that um, the, the direction because you, you know six different ways from Sunday how, how fake Sandy Hook is, and it looks like there's a big push in the media to regurgitate it, make it real again, and well, shove it down our well, face. Well, it, so. it, it's because of the lawsuit. This is a whole big public relations thing to try to keep me in my place. And, you know, the real objective of the lawsuit isn't because of any defamation. It's to silence me, to punish me, uh, to, mm -hmm. you know, try to restrain me from, from expressing my opinion and offering the evidence that substantiates it. I mean, after all, we all know we're all entitled to our opinions, but not all opinions are on a par. And the better opinion is the one that has the greatest amount of evidence. And uh, I happen to have a mountain of evidence. And, of course, they don't want that to get out to the public. So the public actually starts thinking clearly about the absurdities here. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. The deeper you get into Sandy Hook. And I reiterate, anyone who wants to get a, you know, here, here are a couple of resources. Let me mention three that are all free. You can download the first edition of the book because when it was banned by Amazon, I immediately released it to the public for free as a PDF. I have a friend who's estimated it's actually been downloaded as many as 10 million times. So if you don't have it, just put in the title, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, and you can download it. Number two, 
I have a video where you can see uh, runs less than two hours. It's called uh, Sandy Hook Update. Tracy loses, Wolfgang wins, the deep state strikes back on BitChute. And there you're just you're taken on a tour through the whole case. You see all the evidence, the shabby condition of the school, how they didn't have any handicapped parking, which means it couldn't have even been publicly work operating as a school in 2012. Now, in the parking lot, all the set of rows, all the cars were parked facing the school when they should have been parked facing away. So it was, they just found it easier to bring them in in a single line and put them in two by two by two. I go through the official report on Sandy Hook and show it doesn't succeed in tying together the alleged shooter with the weapons he's supposed to have used and the victims he's supposed to have killed. In other words, it was a complete and utter forensic failure. It doesn't accomplish and Nobody could have been convicted on the basis of this. It was ridiculous. Yes. And I, I go through that, how I show you, you actually see a gif where you watch Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner, which in my opinion is the single most convincing proof the whole thing's fake because Noah Posner is alive and well. He's Michael Vabner. We he lost the um... Connecticut. He would graduate from the University of Connecticut stores. He would have his own website where he says, Hi, I'm Michael Vabner. Unfortunately, we lost our, our caller there. I was going to ask both of you a question in regards to what Alex Jones summed up about yeah. the whole deposition. He basically said he was in uh, experiencing some sort of form of uh, psychosis. Uh, I wanted to ask the caller what he thought about that as well as you, Jim. Would you repeat that, uh, Michael? I just was distracted momentarily as you were explaining that. No problem. no problem. I was just curious what your opinion was in regards to the deposition when Alex Jones blamed uh, that he was experiencing a form of psychosis. Well, that was just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, look. You got yes. this guy who's the most prominent figure on the internet, and and if they can take him down, he's well known as a conspiracy theorist. He's 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 uh, attacked and savage for his views about Sandy Hook. He's now saying he believes kids actually died there. So you take down Alex Jones on Sandy Hook, and then you claim that shows that every that Sandy Hook was real. Of course, no such thing follows from taking down Alex Jones, especially when he seems to be. He's a straw man. He's never argued the case terribly well. He's not used the evidence I've given him, even when I put it right in his case, in his case in Texas. I mean, it's sitting there, Michael. That's and he's true. never used it. And then in addition, you see, it, it, it's discrediting to all conspiracy theorists. So they're going to, you know, they, they got a big fish here and they're going to try to slice and dice him a half a dozen ways to make, make hay for the deep state. But it's pathetic. It's pathetic to see this guy have no coherent view. He even says during the deposition, he, they ask him about nobody died at Sandy Hook, and he says he never read it. Well, how inexcusable is that? You're taking a public stance on Sandy Hook, and here you have a documented evidence, and you never even bother to read it. The third resource, by the way, is on uh, Robert David Steele's website. Oh, he yes. did a Sandy Hook memorandum for the president. It has like, uh, I don't know, maybe 30 memoranda. It's m the most current state of research on Sandy Hook. And you can download that for free, too. It's about 102 pages, whereas the book itself is more like uh, 350 to 400. I mean, I got a copy here. Let me take a look. But the fact is, you can get those resources for, for free. And it's rather important to do so. Yeah, three ninety nine plus front page, four hundred and twenty five. I'd say is about the number of pages in the book. By the way, Alex did mention you in the deposition. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on that? 
Well, it was trifling. I mean, it's obvious. You know, if you hadn't read the book, I mean, you know, the guy's totally incompetent. I mean, you have to have read the book. In fact, I, I was even disappointed when James Tracy, whom he attacked as a professor at Florida Atlantic, didn't just put the book, shove the book right down the throats of the reporters. I mean, you got 13 contributors, six current or retired PhD professors. They're explaining the school was closed by 2008. They're laying out the evidence. The whole thing was a fake. It was a FEMA drill. Uh, we even have the, have the manual as Appendix A. I mean, you know, I, I do not understand why Tracy didn't use it as a battering ram, because if it had gone out early, I don't think he could have been tossed out of Florida Atlantic. See, that's the thing I've done. Lenny sues me. The, the the woman, the process server, came out to my house and she said, I've never seen anyone so happy to be served with a lawsuit. Right. Because I've been pondering, how can I get into a legal arena where I can do something about this? And here he delivers it up on a silver platter. That's amazing. It is. It was amazing. That's incredible. But it was very narrowly defined. See, it was very narrowly defined. They thought they could basically get the judge to take judicial notice that the state of Connecticut had certified this death certificate, wherein my answer to the complaint, and you got two ways to go. You can make a motion to dismiss a complaint, but I didn't want to dismiss the complaint. I wanted to meet it head on. Or you can give an answer, and in my answer I explain, if it is the case that this death certificate is not materially different from the death certificate certified by the state of Connecticut, then the state of, since we already have established the death certificate he gave to Kelly is a fabrication, and the state of Connecticut has certified a fabricated death certificate, which is itself a crime. Indeed. Now, get this. He's even, he's even created a fake passport for Oh, my. Mona Alexis Presley has done this brilliant work, has a wonderful blog. Did, did Lenny fabricate a passport for no one? There's just no question about it. Go through the evidence. It's right there. Now, that's a federal crime. A it is. You get in deep trouble for doing that. And by the way, right. we we, right. we both have experienced the anger from the Honor Network. Our interview also was taken down from another another popular alternative uh, media type website as well. Uh, get, get this, get get this. Uh, go ahead. Mike. Not only has he boasted of taking down, he actually says tens of thousands, tens of thousands of content items from the internet. In another boast, he says that the quantity, the volume of material he's taken out from the internet is immeasurable. And that's because these content items, one year, my video, your video, those count as one content item. He's taken down tens of thousands of content items. This guy's a monster. This guy is an operator for the deep state. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. There's no other way this would be happening. We're all worried about the social media and its censorship. Well, a whole lot of this is being run by Lenny Posner. He's got a group of about six people that aid and abet him. He, he, in my opinion, he's a monster. The guy is a monster. Well, they're going around and, harassing and he's just, people. He's, he's eviscerating the First Amendment and freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And he's, he's, he's acting, in my opinion, as though he were an agent of the deep state. I mean, I, I say these things in my... Legal filings, by the way. Yeah, it's very troubling that this this thing even exists, and the fact that they go after people uh, as much as they do, definitely it is a form of harassment, in my opinion. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. 
And I dare say he's also alluded to he's doing this. He's bringing these lawsuits because he wants to drain them, the parties he's suing of their of their financial resources. And right? I mean, it's malicious. See, this is very, very interesting because we've already fired counterclaims against Lenny Posner. So if he loses the suit, we still have the opportunity to take legal action against him. Yes, That's this is what I, others haven't done. This is what I was going to ask you right now. If you were going to take any sort of form of action against one Lenny, uh, you know his last name. Yeah, of course. 100%. Okay, good. Very good. I'm glad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, that was the real key advice we got from a wonderful attorney just doing this pro bono at SSS out of California, who's an experienced trial attorney. His name is that. Is Alexander Patale, and, and he had reached out to me way back when that if I he could ever lend me a hand to let me know. And when I got the lawsuit, I let him know, and he's contributing his time and effort for which I'm enormously grateful. Technically, is representing Wrongs Without Remedies, which is the company within which Moonrock Books is situated, because it's a company it, it can't represent itself; it has to have a lawyer. Whereas Mike Palachek and I, who are the other two defendants in the case, brought against the three of us. Mike was the series editor. He actually contributed the title and a preface to the book, whereas I was responsible for bringing together the contents, editing it, and so forth. And, you know, so, I mean, they were obviously targeting me primarily, but they cast their net wide enough to take the three of us. Now, what's interesting about it, Michael, and I don't think they really thought this through, is that. We might have had one attorney representing all three, but in fact, we actually are three different parties, and Mike and I are both representing ourselves pro se, so that actually there are th three different parties are dealing with here, and because I'm pro se, you know, because I'm an aggressive guy at dealing with something like this, I mean, mo many people, if they got involved in a lawsuit, would simply qu quiet, clam up, not talk about it. My approach has been precisely the opposite. That to me, it's an opportunity to publicize the evidence in the case and inform the people that this is all a sham. And what you have going on out there by attempting to revive it on various grounds, some of which are completely absurd by chewing, suing Remington, the manufacturer of the weapon. Robert David Steele observed he thought this was nutty. It was like suing Buick by a, a person who was a victim of a hit and drive, of a, a hit and run because... Uh, because the car he was driving was a Buick. I mean, it's just an absurd case. I have no doubt whatsoever it'll be tossed by the Supreme Court. It has no foundation. It's ridiculous on its face. Let me just add, by the way, a very good thing being done by the, the, the Donald is he's with taking the U.S. out of the, the U.N. Small Arms Treaty, which Obama uh, sought to ha have the U.S. join in 2013. Now, I believe... That was really part of a master plan to have the U.N. become the ultimate authority to confiscate weapons from the American people. But the whole thing is a total scam. They even went about modifying the Smith-Mutt Act of 1948 by the Smith-Mutt Modernization Act of 2012, where the Smith-Mutt Act of 1948 precluded the use of the same techniques of propaganda and disinformation within the United States that were being used without. In other words... Barack Obama unleashed a floodgate. He opened a spigot for mountains of propaganda to be uh, unloaded on the American people. That's what's been happening. Sandy Hook at the Boston bombing, San Bernardino, Orlando, Dallas, Parkland, Las Vegas. 
We already have books on most of these, and we have more forthcoming at moonrockbooks.com. We began with the one book. After it was banned, Mike and I knew we needed to have our own outlet, so we founded Moon Rock Books. And we now have a dozen, so you can regard it as your conspiracy catalog. It's where you can go for research by competent experts who tell you, explain in detail what really happened, because I believe the American people are entitled to know the truth about their own history. And I despise liars, phonies, and cheats. That's why I'm so upset about, you know, this, this Lenny Posner depriving the American people of their rights under the First Amendment. That is as low as you go, Michael. I'm disgusted with his cretin. Yes, it's quite unusual the way all this has actually worked out. And, of course, you will possibly face him one day in court. Well, except he's a phantom. Get this. This is very, very funny. We, we uh, gave notice that we're going to depose him, do a video deposition of Lenny Posner, because he sued me right here in Dane County, oh, where Madison okay. is located, is the capital of the state. I reside in Dane County. Right. I, as a defendant, am entitled to depose him in Dane County. So we issued a notice to depose him. His attorney has now stated that he's had to have surgery and therefore will be unavailable for the deposition. Well, get this, there have been two previous previous cases where he was about to be deposed where he claimed he had to have surgery. I mean, this is outrageous. This is so insulting. One of them was against Wolfgang Halbig. Wolfgang dutifully went into the pretrial hearings for three months. Lenny Posner never showed up, even though he ostensibly resides in the area. They had a relatively inexperienced attorney representing him. Eventually, the judge was so put off by Lenny's failure to show that he declared Wolfgang had the right to video depose him. Yes. And before you know it, Vinny, uh, 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 Lenny had withdrawn his suit, you know. And then he had another suit against Delray Beach. I mean, this guy is out to, you know, make fabulous sums of money. In fact, I'm convinced that's what he's doing with his so-called honor network. Remember now, a lot of Americans don't grasp how much money is at stake. Sympathetic but gullible Americans contributed between 27 and $130 million in donations for the poor families, the survivors who had lost uh, children or relatives at Sandy Hook, divided by the 26, 20 kids, six adults, families. That's between one and five million bucks for pretending to have lost a child at Sandy Hook. And I guarantee a good as gold. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. It was a FEMA drill. And, and it's only propaganda that has led the American people to believe anything else. I mean, it's just completely outrageous. Now, Lenny claims that by founding the Honor Network, and he says right on his blog, you can go there right now and look at it for H-O-N-R Network. And I always thought that spelling was a little peculiar. He claims it was founded after Sandy Hook to protect parents and so forth from harassment and now he's going after everyone who's doing any research on conspiracies. I mean, this is just what the deep state needs. And it's got to be massively remunerative. He gets all kinds of donations. Now, my opinion is, you see, that that Lenny doesn't want to be exposed for being guilty of, of fraud and of theft by deception because he's taking money under the false pretense that he lost a child when he did not lose a child. He's also perpetrating a fraud on the court. 
because he's, you know, making this claim when he knows there was no basis for the claim, but in particular in a, in a false name. His name isn't Lenny Posner. Dr. Eowyn, who has this wonderful blog called Fellowship of the Minds, did uh, national searches using two different respected search engines and couldn't find a Leonard Posner in the entire United States using either of the search engines. He's a total fraud. But we have all these photographs of the guy who's Lenny with the guy who's supposed to be Noah Posner. So, you know, they certainly appear to be in a familial relationship. But it turns out Noah is actually a fiction made up of Michael Vabner. It's very reasonable to infer. The guy called Lenny is in the, this parental relationship to who turns out now to be Michael Vabner, which makes him Reuben Vabner. And in fact, there are Reuben Vabners around that are tied into this case. And I'm convinced it's because, you see, on several occasions, he has declined to allow his image to appear. This is another reason he doesn't want to allow for a videotaping. We, we were pitted against one another in a program on Showtime called Dark Net, where they look at uh, clear-cut positive use of the Internet, clear-cut negative use, and in between they have a controversial case. Right. So they did it on Sandy Hook, pitting me against Lenny. They came to my home here, not 20 feet from where I'm sitting as I speak to you now, oh, wow. and they filmed me for four hours. when they I actually saw the final product. My face, my features of my face are better delineated in that video than in any other, and I've been in hundreds, okay? When we saw it, however, uh, and the whole family, we watched it together, they were really taken aback that Lenny wouldn't let his face be shown. He told the producers because he didn't want his image to be uh, shown on the Internet subject to harassment. But it's really because he doesn't want someone to look at this video and say, hey, I know that guy, that's Ruben Vabner. Amazing. Yeah, this is what's going on. Total sham. That's incredible. The American people are being suckered because the media has abdicated its responsibility. It does no investigative journalism. This thing should have been halted the day of the event. It should have been exposed. Good Lord. And yes, I did see some of those photographs, and remarkably, they do look like the same person. So I do oh, give you that. Person. There's no doubt about it. Go on my blog. If you go on my blog right now, you'll see, I think, the second blog. Let yes. me go there now. If you have the second blog, uh, Sandy Hook, well, that, that that's the one by Dr. Real, what, the curious case of Danbury Hospital's premature Facebook message of sympathy right. for those who had suffered at Sandy Hook, which went up 48 minutes before the police received the first 911 call about it. But the other, the one that's really crucial is the next, Sandy Hook Posner versus Fetzer lawsuit, defendant's motion for expansion of DNA testing. Now, let me tell you the background here. This is really, really extremely interesting. Uh, the, the, the plaintiffs have moved for a, D, a testing of a DA, DNA sample. It appears that in 2011, just before Sandy Hook, that they decided that they would now keep DNA samples of the victims of homicides. Well, isn't this convenient? Now, you see, he wants to prove he's the father of the decedent by having a sample that was purportedly taken from Noah Posner uh, to verify that this is a, he stands in a familial relationship. But this is all contrived. This is a DNA sample from Michael Vabner. There's no chain of custody. The, the, the Connecticut State Police were running this whole lot behind the scene. They were responsible. This is like in Dallas. The Dallas police were responsible for framing Oswald. That's why it was done in such a shoddy fashion. A Dallas cop stood in for Oswald for the backyard photographs. Larry Rivera has done a brilliant job of exposing it. 
This guy, this cop who stood in for him, is named Roscoe White. He appears to have been a real assassin and may have murdered as many as 50 witnesses from Dealey Plaza on behalf of the CIA. He was a Dallas cop working for the CIA. He's got a much heftier build than Lee Oswald. Lee was a relatively slight build guy. He had a height. He was about 5'11", but he only weighed about 130 pounds. He didn't have a particular muscular body. Uh, uh, he was actually standing in the doorway during the motorcade as it passed by. I mean, we've been able to prove that. Larry did a, a voice, a, a facial superposition to, to verify what we already knew based upon the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt, which were the same as the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt Lee Oswald was wearing when he was arrested. Figure out the improbability of someone having those same features as the man in the doorway and not being the man in the doorway. Uh, I mean, obviously, this was uh, why, out of a sense of self-consciousness, they had Lee remove his outer garment, which was a long sleeve, rather tattered and torn, rich, richly textured shirt that actually he'd, he'd obtained in Russia. Marina would later acknowledge that she'd actually laundered. She remembered laundering that shirt. They had Lee take off the shirt when they did the mug shot, so he's there in a white T-shirt, which is very peculiar because that's not how he was dressed when he was arrested. But it's because they wanted people not to notice the striking resemblance to the man in the doorway. Well, with Lee Oswald as the man in the doorway, he cannot have been the lone demented shooter. He can't even have been one of the gunmen. And there are, I identified six originally. Only Domagard brought a seventh, and I agree with that. There was a, an eighth that was firing from the south knoll behind a tree. I've seen two different photographs, one in the hands of uh, Nick Ta uh, Ed Tatro, the other in the hands of uh, Rick Russo of the man with a rifle behind the tree. I mean, it's a, just a very peculiar situation because this is like a lone tree on the south knoll opposite the grassy knoll. Yes. And he's getting up with his rifle in plain sight. In fact, David Manick, who's the leading expert on the medical evidence, has concluded now that, that Jack was actually hit a third time in the head. You've heard me talk about how he was hit four different times in the back by a shot fired from the top of the county records building. That was fired by a deputy sheriff by the name of Harry Weatherford. Then he was shot in the throat by a weapon from inside of the triple underpass. And this is remarkable. We just did an a guy named Jack Lawrence, who was an Air Force expert shot. We just did a, uh, an interview on the new JFK show with a fellow who had been very systematic in going through the calibers of the different weapons available and identified this was a, a very distinctive weapon, one of which was owned by General Curtis LeMay, who was the chief of staff of the Air Force. That appears to be the weapon the Air Force expert used to fire through the windshield if Jack in the throat uh, weapon actually owned by Curtis LeMay. And where, can, and, and where can people hear that, Jim, by the way, the JFK show? It's on the new JFK show. Uh, uh, Gary King posted it's at 153news.net. I mean, look, you wouldn't believe that this many years after we're still making new discoveries. But yeah, it's Gary, wild. Larry, and I who are conducting this show. We're going to invite Shane O'Sullivan from the UK to be our, our guest on the next show. But they're pre-recorded. So what you want to look for when they're posted for the new J JFK show, Gary King and 153news.net. Because this most recent one about the weapon, I mean, we saw the weapon as fast as it could fold up 
We had decided on a previous visit to Dealey Plaza where Larry Gary and I were together. We went down in there because Larry had calculated. He's using this method called Blender. It enables you to make a three-dimensional reconstruction of the scene. So he can actually move around and you can view everything in Dealey Plaza from any perspective you want. And he had discovered that the shot through the windshield, I mean, you got the hole in the windshield, you got the, the shot in the throat. So you're identifying two points on a line, right? And, and it, it, it was fired from inside the triple underpass. I originally thought it had been fired from the south. No, but actually it's a more accurate depiction of the trajectory from inside. And Larry had discovered that there's a, a, a metal casing there for wiring, and you can open it, and there's space there to stash a rifle. Well, this, this rifle is so unique that it folds up to the, just the size of the stock. In fact, when this, this guy who's done all this research gave a lecture recently at Olney College, which is a little school in uh, central Illinois, not too far from Terre Haute, uh, he actually came out and gave a lecture and pulled the thing out from inside his jacket. <laughs> he had this whole weapon. Wow. It just pulls up the size of the stock. I mean, it's just fascinating. This does appear to be the weapon that was used there. So I'm telling you, we're still making these new discoveries. Then, of course, after the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left into a halt, he was hit in the back of the head by the anti-Castro-Cuban named Nestor Tony Escadro who was fired from inside the Dow Tex on the second floor from the the room closet window of a company that was the uranium mining operation, another CIA asset where he was supervised by none other than George Herbert Walker Bush. Now, this was the only unsilenced weapon used during the assassination. It was a Mandlicker Carcano firing three shots to set up the acoustical impression of only three shots having been fired because it was the only the only shots fired with an unsilenced weapon. He had two misses, the weapon so unreliable. One missed and hit a distant curbing, injured a bystander by the name of James Tagg. It was actually the discovery that Tagg had a fleck of concrete and actually cut his jaw, his cheek. So when the Warren Commission was confronted with this evidence, that's when they had to switch from three shots with three hits where their original conclusion, and this was of the Secret Service and the FBI the day of the assassination, all predetermined, of course was that Jack had been hit in the back, and he was hit in the back by that shot fired from the top of the uh, county records building by the deputy sheriff, five and a half inches below the collar to the right of the spinal column, that Connolly had been shot in the back, and then Jack had been hit in the back of the head, killing him. Well, he was hit in the back of the head. He was hit in the back. The back of the head shot then was fired from the Daltex after the driver, William Greer, pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt. They they had to edit all this out now that I'm describing because it obviously would have blown the whole story. But he just slumped forward, Jackie, he's to back up, and then he, while she was looking him right in the face, he was hit in the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet, but it appears virtually simultaneously in the left temple that he was hit to, in in the head from both sides from the from the intersection of the triple underpass and the grass, you know, by Frank Sturgis, who may have been the best shot in the world. He was uh, kind of a soldier of fortune. And and believe it or not, we had another interview. Uh, uh, this was absolutely fascinating. Yes. And by the way, Jim, just for just to add some more context here for the newer listeners out there. Can you tell them what the JFK assassination means to you and why you have spent a, a great deal of time researching the assassination? 
Well, I graduated from Princeton in 1962. And, you know, Jack was a president. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. I was anchored out in Kaohsiung Harbor, uh, Formosa, when I was awakened by the officer of the deck at 3.30 in the morning to tell me he'd been shot, and then awakened me an hour later to tell me they caught the guy who'd done it, he was a communist. I thought then that was pretty fast work. Well, it turns out that... Uh, Lee was arrested about 1.50 at the Texas Theater. But believe it or not, the arrest report is timed 1.40. And it says this man shot and killed President John F. Kennedy and wounded Governor John Conley. And then it adds on he also shot and killed Officer J.D. Tippett. So they had the conclusion before any investigation. Actually, the arrest report was written with those definitive statements before he was even arrested. I mean, I'm telling you, it's that absurd. This is why I say the Dallas Police Department botched it in all kinds of ways that are obvious to anyone who spends any time looking at it. But the American people are just overwhelmed by the mainstream media. That's right. Now, the point I was about to come to, yes. there's a guy named uh, Rod McKinsey. He's a very interesting guy who's got a book about the assassination. We had Rod McKinsey on the new JFK show. We actually brought him back two or even three times. He ran a safe house uh, in Dallas for the agency, but the day of the assassination, or but actually it was the day before, he was moved over to a motel where many of those who are playing roles here were located. And he told us how at 3 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., he was looking out the window when a big stretch limousine pulled up, and this guy got out in a camel's hair coat talking to Frank Sturgis. It was Richard Nixon. Mm. Telling you, the Amazing. stuff we've discovered about this is just to blow your mind. It's unbelievable. I never knew that. I know it. It's pretty Rod amazing. He's the eyewitness. He was there. He witnessed it. And by the way, well, see, no Nixon, Nixon had been at the ratification yes. uh, event the night before at the home of Clint Murkison, you know, where Lyndon shows up late. Uh, 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 I had over 100 conversations with Madeline Duncan Brown, who had an affair with Lyndon, began in 1948. She bore him a son, Stephen, in 1950. Uh, she, because of their relationship, would be invited to many of these social events, and she was invited to the home of Clint Murkison Sr. the night before the assassination. There were a lot of prominent figures there. J. Edgar Hoover was there. She thought maybe the event was in his honor because he'd frequently stop in Dallas on his way to California to the Del Mar racetrack, where whenever Hoover put down a bet, invariably his horse won. What just happens, the racetrack was owned by Clint Murkison Sr. Uh, John J. McCloy was there. He'd been our former high commissioner to Germany, former CEO of Chase Manhattan Bank. Lyndon would subsequently appoint him to the Warren Commission. He was there at the ratification meeting, for Christ's sake. Then we had H.L. Uh, Hunt, who was maybe the richest man in the world. He so declared himself. He was there nominally. He and Murkison would be, you know, competitors in the oil market. But here they had a common cause getting rid of JFK. Uh, we had George Brown of Brown and Root Heavy Construction. In fact, although Vietnam has many magnificent natural ports, when the war went down, Brown and Root got a billion dollars to dredge a new port at Comron Bay, some kind of payoff there. In any case, when Lyndon showed up unexpected to most, and this was a relatively small gathering, there were only about three dozen people there, but where Madeline remembered, by the way, that uh, 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 how R Richard Nixon had been driven out to the event by a local Republican leader who worked in the same bank where she was a young advertising executive, 
And if you watch The Men Who Killed Kennedy, the final segment, which would be banned because it's fingering Lyndon as a key player, which he indeed was, was the key player. So they had to ban it. So Bill Moyers and others, you know, who are protective of his legacy, uh, go to work. People like Jack Volante, who who undermined Oliver Stone's magnificent film, receiving the Academy Award by working against him when he was the czar of Hollywood. Uh, and so that instead it was given to this film, which was a halfway decent, but certainly not historic film, Silence of the Lambs, about a, a, a sadistic uh, a cannibalistic killer. I mean, you know, that's pathetic. Right. And Jim, before I forget, did you like the Oliver Stone film? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure. It's a masterpiece. Now, it's not flawless. Of course, yeah. This has, has to do with the fact that he was relying on the advice of Robert Groton, who has a very strange history in relation to JFK to this day. He insists that you know, the Zapruder film is authentic when, I mean, the proof that it's not is simply overwhelming. He also denies that Lee is in the doorway. I mean, I tell you, the story with Robert Groden is quite bizarre. I have called him out. I published articles exposing him. Uh, he was, a, nevertheless, at that time, advising Oliver Stone on the film and, you know, telling him things like that, that the Zapruder was authentic. So Oliver didn't know that. He was actually used by the House Select Committee to verify that, that it was Billy Lovelady in the doorway and not Lee Oswald. And it's very interesting there because Judith Very Baker, who was Lee's girlfriend in New Orleans the summer before, who has become a student of JFK, uh, uh, actually proved, based upon a pixelation study, that the guy that Grodin claims was the man in the doorway uh, had, was wearing a shirt that did not match when you did a pixelization study with the shirt on the man in the doorway, whereas Lee Oswald's shirt did match. Roden reported precisely the opposite for the House Select Committee, so that Judith, even though she is a big fan of Robert Groden for reasons I know not, uh, she nevertheless contradicted and gave further confirmation to the study by Ralph and Kay that the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, the T-shirt were the same. Uh, Ralph is a chiropractor. This is what's interesting about people with different backgrounds. A lot of people come to Ralph because they want their clothing to fit better. So they have to work out different parts of their body to get them shaped up. So it was Ralph who pointed out to me when I initially mistakenly thought that it was a man who had his face scratched out in this famous photograph taken by James I. Alchins that has the doorway area. I thought the man with his face scratched out was actually Leah Oswald. But he pointed out to me that it wasn't the face that was crucial, the height, the weight, the build, and actually Lee was the more conspicuous figure, was actually leaning out. And we went to work. I published, I don't know, 10 different articles at the time when I was uh, still writing for Veterans Today about the man in the doorway. I mean, we were looking at this thing from every possible point of view. I mean, it was a stunning series of blogs that were about, you know, confirming that Lee was in the doorway. This is before Larry cinched it by doing the, the facial superposition on the man in the doorway. And it, 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 the, the Lee Oswald's face fits the features of the man in the doorway hand in glove. The Billy Lovelady facial features don't. In fact, Billy had long since said he thought it was odd they'd be confused. And I bear this, bear in mind, the government claims it was Billy Lovelady who was the person who was looking out. Billy said he thought it was odd they were confused because he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20, probably more pounds heavier. 
And actually, the FBI invited him in on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the same shirt he wore, and it turned out to be a short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt that would have stood out. In fact, that's why Billy was actually standing beside Lee, to Lee's left, to his right. If you look at the photograph, he's got his hands up. You can see the guy's two to three inches shorter, heavier, and they had to obliterate the shirt because it was so spectacular. It would have stood out. Larry's done a reconstruction using Blender of the figures in the doorway, and you see it in vivid color, and there's no no way of missing. There's Billy Lovelady in his red and white vertically striped short sleeve shirt versus Lee in this long sleeve. It's actually kind of a reddish brown color shirt. I mean, look, this is completely brilliant work, which is why when I got into this business about Noah Posner being made up out of photographs of uh, of Michael Wagner. Uh, yes. We got to work on it. I brought together a group of six of us, and we discovered they had the same eyes, they had the same eyebrows, they had the same nose, they had the same mouth, they had the same ears, they had the same shape of skull. So I asked Larry, I said, could you do a superposition? And he found, you know, we had two photographs that were right. What you have to do is to, when you do the imposition, the superposition is the distance between the pupils of the eyes have to be set the same. And then you can do a comparison of skulls and other features, and it's an exact match. You see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. Yes. So and go now to by, the blog. By the way, I Jim. I mentioned about, uh, you know, Sandy and Posner versus Fetzer lawsuit and Bennett's motion for expansion of DNA testing. You can see right. Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. No doubt. And, and I got to tell you, uh, you know, this is such stunning stuff. Off, Michael. I mean, it's so devastating. I, I just don't know how anyone. In fact, you see, Lenny had been taking down many of my blogs, and he long since had taken down the blog where the six of us had worked in collaboration. So I put out an appeal to a number of my research colleagues. Did anyone have that blog? And one of them did. Yes, and so Jim, I, I just published. Jim, I just uh... published it there. See, originally from Friday, <laughs> February seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, Exhibit G. No doubt. And Jim, I just wanted to quickly ask you here, uh, going back to JFK before we finish up there. I'm very curious if you believe that our government will ever be honest about what happened that day in Dallas. I I don't I don't see how it can. You see, I mean, it's sadly. Uh, 9-11 was brought to us, compliments of the CIA and the neocons and the Department of Defense, most of whom were dual U.S. Israeli citizens. The most sought, the whole idea of 9-11, was to create a pretext for the U.S. entering the Middle East to take out the modern Arab states that served as a counterbalance to Israel's domination of the entire region, and eventually to confront the Persian nation of Iran. It was an Israeli op. It was up by and for Israel. There's a huge amount of Israeli activity on the ground of Mossad groups who are trying to blow up the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the Brooklyn Bridge. They were trying to isolate uh, Manhattan as an island, Michael. Yeah, the, the, CIA, the CIA seems to be involved in all sorts of things, even going back to the 1950s when they hired Iranians uh, to pose as communists and stage bombings uh, in Iran in order to turn the country against the uh, prime minister there. Well, that's very, very interesting. That's very good. I mean, I am very upset with uh, Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, for a lot of people seem to be. Iran. To me, that is a bottom line. Iran is a great peace-loving country. Iran 
has not uh, uh, launched a war of aggression against any other state since 1775, Michael. Wow. And just to make it clear what we're talking about, the ratification of the Constitution began in 1787. George Washington was elected our first president in 1789. So for longer than the United States has existed as a constitutional republic, Iran has not attacked any other nation Would that could be said of the United States. We are truly properly described as the greatest terrorist nation in the world today. Sad to say. Sad to say. Very sad to say. And uh, another thing I did want to ask you about was the recent church burning. I'm very curious your take on all of that, Jim. Oh, which church burning do you mean here, Michael? Uh, oh, oh the, the most recent one we had over here. Yeah, remind me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting two and two together here. Uh Oh, this one, this synagogue thing that just happened? Oh, no, that's the California shooting. Yeah, that's the California. I heard about that one. What's the one you're talking? You, you, oh, oh, wait a minute. Do you mean um, do you mean the, the Notre Dame Cathedral? Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was clearly uh, set up. But Robert David Steele, I've got a blog about it. Uh, all these things make more than one, I think, or several videos embedded about it, too. Uh, even the chief engineer for the cathedral said that it had to have had, as it were, kindling, because this oak, this massive oak that was the roof, and the roof and the spire were made of wood, you see, most of the rest of the building was made of stone and mortar, uh, that it had to require intense heat in order to ignite in the first place. Well, we now have a photograph where you see what appears to be a, a, a laser hitting the roof. And I, I believe that's uh, how it was done. It was all deliberately planned. Robert David Steele has suggested that it was Angela Merkel and uh, uh, Macron and May who were all collaborating on this and that they even had the approval of the Pope in order to unify Europe and to benefit the European economy. So it's totally scummy. I mean, this is outrageous. But, you know, that appears to be completely contrived. That's yeah, interesting. Also to distract attention from the yellow vest, right? All the popular populism in France, where Macron is clearly incompetent as president of France. I mean, you know, I'm telling you. No doubt, no doubt. And of course, you did mention the recent shooting of the synagogue here in California. Donald Trump, I think, came out here talked about that. Well, we had a synagogue a shooting of a synagogue in in in, in uh, Pittsburgh, and. Uh, the reports of the shooting were taking place before the synagogue was even open. I mean, it wasn't even open. I'm telling you, this stuff is so bad, so insulting. Miles Mathis had quite a brilliant piece about the uh, Pittsburgh shooting and noting the elderly age of the alleged uh, uh, persons who were killed, all of whom, in other words, were at an age where you expect they were already dead. That's what they did with, you know, with Las Vegas. They actually used uh, for the obituaries to the extent they were based on real persons. This was another brilliant piece of research by Mona Alexis Presley. They were based on persons who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death. And then when the when the coroner, who was refusing to release any death certificates or autopsy reports, was directed by the judge in response to a Freedom of Information Act, he put out a call the medical examiners around the country, and from six different medical examiners, he got autopsy reports. He struck the file names 
and and the but you know uh, put and and uh, uh, file numbers and the names and put them out as uh, though they had been uh, decedents from Las Vegas. Amazing. Uh, it, it's it's so insulting, Michael. It is so insulting. Well, the fact that we don't get any any facts at all, the general public is left out of the cold when it comes to all these things like nine eleven, JFK, the uh, Stephen Paddock out there in Vegas. They all claim there was no motive. We all know that's the lie. Well, Las Vegas was a movie. They used a pre-recorded soundtrack. Don Cromer, who's an IT guy, was the first to put two and two together. They, they use a very high-quality uh, video of the sound of machine guns firing with some military weapons in the background. They played over the PA system. I think, Dan, I think Dan might be in the chat room. Well, great. Well, he's a super guy. He might be in here. But bring him in if you can. That's if Dan was did this brilliant uh, understanding of why the damn uh, all, all the sound of the gunfire could be heard so clearly all over Las Vegas. It was because it was a pre-recorded soundtrack, and it was being played over the PA system. Then they had coordinated special visual effects so that the sheriff said he'd never seen any evidence of any shooting from the 32nd floor of the wing of the Mandalay Bay, when right there we have it on video on the fourth floor. In the middle of the Mandalay Bay, you see the flashing lights coordinated with the sound of the machine gun. And higher up, you find these uh, three light flashes to simulate military weapons. Then we got a whole video of a guy turning on the crowd to fire, and you can see the light coming from the muzzle, but he's firing blanks. No one's hit. I mean, that whole thing is just outrageous, totally outrageous. I mean, unbelievably shabby. And they're paying off those who have served as crisis actors. Crowds on Demand, which is an outfit in Los Angeles, was hiring crisis actors beginning 15 days before the events in Las Vegas. And now they're paying them off for their pain and suffering. It's hush money. Oh, by so the way. to pay them off for the rest of their lives? The taxpayer is going to pay them off for faking having been at a at a non-real event, a staging an event in Las Vegas. I mean, it's enough to make you want to bomb. <laughs> True. And Jim, I just remembered right now, there was an individual once the shooting had occurred just a, a few days later. I remember there was an individual by the name of Dean Ryan who had told you that he knew someone who was shot. Yeah. Uh, did you ever make a follow-up on, on yeah, yeah, any yeah, of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there were two of them. Mm -hmm. well, one was a girl and she had been perfectly fine originally, but later decided she'd been shot, and now she wanted cash in. So that was fake. The other was a man, oh, and wow. we followed as he moved many different addresses, which is typical of these crisis actors. They move around where they're going to get parts and roles and all that. Neither of them panned out. Now, now, Dean Ryan's a good friend of mine. I mean, we've done shows before. We did a show on Las Vegas ourselves together. Yeah, we've, we've, mm -hmm. done a, we've done a half a dozen or more shows together. I like Dean Ryan a lot. So, you know, I was eager to follow up on it. But yeah, no I doubt. find anyone who claims they have. I mean, Mona's so good at this. You know, give us a name and we'll track it down. It's, it's unadulterated bullshit, Michael. It's just unadulterated bullshit. Yes, no doubt. And, of course, this goes back to the debate with... Uh, you and Max Egan, who was uh, a guest here not long ago, he was on the first half of the program. And again, for those that are just tuning in, I said that Jim was furious with uh, some of the things that Mr. Max Egan was saying. And of course, uh, I tend to believe that the footage that I saw was real, Jim. But you claim that definitely don't fall for it. Don't believe your lying eyes. Is that correct? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what footage do you mean? I mean, look, we've got this footage of the shell casing. Yeah, the shell casing. There we go. Midair. They never hit the ground. They never make a tinkle. They, you know, metal doesn't disappear. There are paintings on the weapons. Greg Hallett was the first to notice those are toy guns. Those aren't even real guns. He actually found, he went online and he found where you can get them, the same model. I also went to Gordon Duff because I know he does custom weaponry. He he, he reconstructs weapons, mostly military, from all over the world, and he verified that this did not this did not resemble any weapon in existence with which he was familiar. You got him walking into the room, and there's already a stack of bodies there. He's firing it with a shotgun at people in the doorway, but there's no no body parts, no blood. This is what we had in uh, the Boston bombing. If you're through the smoke, and yeah, there were people lying there with missing arms and legs, but there was no blood. As the rain day was the head of trauma surgery for San Francisco General Hospital for 25 years, as observed, it's a physiological impossibility for you to, ha to have arms and legs blown up by explosives and there'd be no, no blood. It only showed up later and it came out of these little orange duffel bags, fa false fake blood kits, of which five or six were strewn around the area when they finally cleared it. I mean, we, we have documented all these things so well, and you can see it in color. Uh, you know, we have both in black and white and color at moonrockbooks.com. And, you know, I mean, believe me. No, the whole thing at uh, Christ Church was totally fake, totally fake. And I mean, believe me, uh, you can go onto my blog and you can look at two or three different videos I did it before I did the interview with uh, Max, the exchange with Max Egan. Where, where Mona went through to look at the four different cases he cited that were proofs that it was real. And now I've done this thing with Vinnie Eastwood as a sequel. Now, Vinnie can't even look at the videos, that he, he's forbidden to look at the videos. So, I mean, how he could claim, you know, yeah. he's just taking, as it were, Max's word for it. But, I mean, it's ridiculous. This, I, I went in thinking Max Egan was probably okay guy, and I came out convinced he's not. He's not. He's not. He was using a whole bunch of phrases and expressions they use repeatedly about all the, oh, that's just conjecture and speculation. That's not based on evidence. When the things, the points I was making were based on evidence. They weren't conjecture and speculation. For God's sake, I spent 35 years offering courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning. I know the difference between conjecture and speculation and a well-founded conclusion or opinion, for crying out loud. That's what I've done with my whole life, a professional philosopher. Yes, I wanted to science. I mean, you know. Yes. I actually wanted to hear both of you all on a show together, not debate, but actually just uh, beyond. Be <laughs> yeah, I thought that would be pretty well, entertaining. There it is. I mean, you know, the Billy Ray Valentine organizer, you can listen to it. Yes, uh, definitely. It wasn't your show, but I mean, it was a show. I mean, it lasted about an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, I totally forgot the name of the show that you were on uh, during that whole debate. No disrespect to them. Uh, they seem like great guys as well. I, I just completely forgot the name of the, that show, but definitely well, it is out there. It right, you know, you know the, the, it's right there on the blog where Mona Alexis Presley is asking, did Max Egan have it right? And you can check it out. Yeah, I saw that article. I, great stuff. It's really curious, by the way, that this other, here's another guy who has a reputation by the name of Jake Morphonius? You ever hear of this guy, Jake Morphonius? Mm. I've heard from several people they think Jake Morphonius is a good guy. Jake Morphonius, 
And my opposition to the paternity test, because it was so easy to fake, I said, if you're going to do it, then you need to broaden it and not just test Noah Posner, because a sample for which there's no known chain of custody could have come from Michael Vabner. I mean, how easy is that? And then it shows there's this familial relation between, you know, the guy who calls himself Lenny Posner and the sample that's being named as Le Le Noah Posner when it's actually a sample from Michael Vabner, and this is his father, uh, uh, Ruben Vabner. So I said, we got to expand it. So we do not only uh, Lenny and, and Noah, but we do Ruben and Michael, and then the mother of, of Veronique De La Rosa. So I was explaining why, just to do it without expanding, it was not a good idea. The day I submitted it, it appeared on the Jake Morphonius. He actually had the document in his hand the very day I filed it. That's stunning. That means he's got a connection to Lenny. Mm. Not only that, but when he's attacking me wow. on his show, he's saying, you know, this is supposed to, I'm supposed to be opposed to the uh, DNA study because it would be show, it would show me up to be a fraud. And then he says, I'm making profits off of my book, No Children Died at Sandy Hook. How bad is that? And oh, he never wait a even minute. mentioned, of course, how can I be making profits off a book that I've given away for free, that anyone can download for free? Yeah, you know what? I, I, These people have a penchant for outing themselves, Michael. I, I, I do recall I do recall seeing that guy, actually, a thumbnail of him on YouTube talking about you. Now now that you mention it, now that you mention the, uh, this gentleman... Yeah, you're right. I, I did see that name, but I didn't click the video. Well, he said, he, in my opinion, this guy is just like Lenny. He's another deep state operative. He's just like Max Egan. I mean, these are three peas in a pot. I haven't quite gone as far with Vinny, but I've certainly had people tell me they think that Vinny and Max are a little too tight. You know, Really? Yeah, I really enjoyed the interview I did with Vinny, by the way. I even told him afterwards how much I enjoyed it. We've had we've had uh, cordial exchanges where we had different points of view. I think this is a very good example. And by the way, uh, I've just put the longer version. The debate, uh, uh, I started recording. He was supposed to be a guest on my show, see, but he had his own show on American Freedom Radio huh. that began like mm -hmm. about 10 minutes before he came onto my show. So he actually recorded that first 10 minutes, and then there was somehow an interruption. He didn't get the rest, but I got the rest. So now we're just putting up where you can see the whole thing all together. And this here, this is a, a link because you're seeing me and him together on the split screen. Well, let me see. It's going to be up. Yeah, it says uh, AFR. Anyway, the whole thing is going to be up if it's not up already. The, the early exchange is very, very cordial, very interesting. That's one thing about these exchanges, Michael. They're very damn interesting because you got real genuine differences of opinion. And, you know, I, I, I am willing to learn from others. I don't learn from people who agree with me because I don't, I'm not introduced to any new ideas or new evidence unless perhaps they have a new argument that strengthens, you know, what I've understood before. So I really enjoy doing these things, but uh, it's been rather fascinating with their outcome in the case of Max Egan, this Jake, Jake Morphonius, uh, Vinnie Eastwood, and others. Well, this show just became a lot more interesting since uh, you came on here in the second half, given the fact that we just talked to Max Egan. Um, I, yeah. wish, I wish I could have had both of you on here, and Max actually yeah. wanted to stay on a lot longer, 
but he actually had some business to attend to, which is sad. It would have been great to finally have you uh, both on here and hash it out without. Well, I don't think Max would mm-hmm. have been real happy. To Probably have not. Him again. I'll just I, frankly say, Mac, I don't think he... Max I don't... is not. Max is not going to be happy. The the simple fact that you are actually on the <laughs> <laughs> on the second half here, <laughs> he's going to be pissed. I know, Michael. Yeah, I know. Well, look, it's it's been a delight <laughs> jo- joining you for this uh, second hour. I want to thank you for extending the invitation, and I know uh, it was serendipitous, and and it is just very coincidental that I should be coming on after you actually had Max Egan on the first hour. I know, right? That was amazing, and I'm glad you're here. By the way, I'm glad that we were able to talk, and I know you do have to wrap it up here really uh, pretty well, soon Well, you're a wonderful host. I always enjoy coming on with you, Michael, and I've enjoyed every single interview we ever did, and I look forward to many more. I feel the exact same way, my friend, and once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, and we'll do this again in the very near future, my friend. You, you got it, Michael. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, Jim. You too. And there he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Jim Fetzer yet again, another great, great guest. And can you imagine that if we actually had uh, Mr. Max Egan on here with uh, Mr. Jim Fetzer? Now that would have been pretty damn explosive in my opinion. Would have been a great time. And I'm seeing uh, Heather Wade in the chat room here. Uh, Hi to Heather Wade and Gang of Four and Be Silly and Boss Man and Vic something Vapor Bat Records. I'm seeing all of you in the chat room now. Uh, Richard in there, I I see you as well. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Great time. And no, well, actually, yes, boss man, you did miss the break. We did go on a little break here, and that was fun. And do I want a lap dance? Actually, you know, that would be pretty fun right now. A lap dance during the program. My goodness. Uh, I need to pay my bills. Yeah, that's usually what what strippers, uh, you know, that's usually what they need to do, pay their bills. And stripping actually gets the job done. Uh, I don't know that personally. Well, maybe I do. But yes, uh, stripping does get the job done. One Heather Wade out there in the chat room. Great indeed. And yes, Michael is boss. Vapor Bat Records says, it's too bad we couldn't find Dan. Would have been a great addition to have him on the program. Uh, Disco Inferno. Uh, Be silly. Why are you naming a, a WCW wrestler for? Be silly. I, I, I didn't know you were a fan. The Disco Inferno. Little, little fun there. Taking us back to the old days there. Did the chat room play what is Michael doing during the break? Uh, you know what? I, I think so. I'm not quite sure, uh, boss man. I wasn't really uh, here during the break. I was actually running around looking for the second guest that actually was supposed to be here tonight. Uh, Chris, uh, Christo Rapolo. He was actually supposed to be here tonight and and talk about his documentary series that was on Netflix at one time. I believe it was in 2016 was when uh, originally that Netflix special was on. And now it's off. Not quite sure why they yanked it off of Netflix. I was actually really looking forward to the convenience of actually getting on Netflix and watching that documentary. But instead, I actually had to pay uh, just to watch the documentary. Bossman says you aren't allowed to play the game, Michael. Okay, well that's a new rule on me. I wasn't quite sure if I was, uh, I was able to play the game. Yes, Jim willing to step in last minute. Very true. Very true. The fact that I actually wanted to bring in Jim during uh, the week coming up here, I did want to bring him in here, and I talked to Jim on the break, and I asked if he'd be willing to jump in here, and of course he said yes. Pretty remarkable, though. I still wish we could have had 
Mr. Max Egan and Jim Fetzer on at the same time. Now that would have been fun. That would have been a pretty damn good time. And of course, as we wrap it up here tonight, I still want to give my respects to those great folks out there in the UK. It seems like they are number one still outside of America to really be dominating in terms of listeners really have been very supportive of the great individuals out there in the UK holding it down. And of course, our friends in Canada, great people in Canada, they are very strong in numbers still. And of course, Australia, they're always uh, great folks. And France, kind of surprised that people in France actually listen to the program. And uh, Bubba says, get Graham Hancock. He is making his rounds. You know, he would actually make a pretty great guest here on the program, Mr. Graham Hancock. I definitely talked to a few people who are in speaking terms with Mr. Graham Hancock. Perhaps that is a possibility. Maybe I'll get him in here. Bossman says all of my or all five of my children are half. Uh, half of what, Bossman, by the way, if you don't mind me asking. Gang of Four says, Heather, were, were you listening to I Just Can't Get Enough? Can't get enough of what, Gang of Four? Looking at you, chat room. And Gang of Four says nothing. Amazing. Moving on here. Of course, the great folks in the Netherlands, quite surprised by that, got listeners there as well. And Ireland and Germany, really appreciate them. And before I forget, do want to thank all of you in America for always supporting the program. And of course, those in the chat room. Fantastic. I'm glad to see you guys here yet again. And of course, those in my home state of California. That always trips me up uh, quite a bit. I'm not used to that. And I'm not used to having listeners in California at all. I never really try to uh, talk to many people at all that live in my home state about this show. Don't think I've ever done that. So I'm always quite confused when I see that California is leading in terms of states here in the United States that are most popular. I always thought it was somewhere in the East Coast, but it turns out California is the place where I have most of my listeners residing. That is unusual, folks. Never did I ever think that would be the outcome. Again, my voice has been heard in Austin, Texas before. And that's where a lot of my listeners, I thought, came from. But now I'm finding out that's not exactly the truth. Holy shit, right? Uh, Flint, Richardson, Houston, and Austin. Lots of listeners there. And really appreciate them out there. And of course, keep in mind, boys and girls, I will be here next week with another fine guest in James Perloff. He will be joining me here live and direct, folks. So definitely keep in mind, I'll be here next week. And thank you so much for listening to the program here tonight. And of course, you can catch the podcast version of this program on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and I believe CastBox. CastBox is actually really good if, if you don't exactly know much about that program. I recommend CastBox. Very nice, very nice. Of course, I return Saturday night 
regular time, 7 p.m. for you, West Coasters. That's 9 for you people out there in the East Coast. And, of course, thank you to those over at the Fringe FM. I hope you enjoyed tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen. But that concludes tonight's evening. Thanks for being here. I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. You are looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Michael Deacon, Michael, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon.